For those of you who weren't here last week, we kicked off our summer book series. Typically what we do is we'll take a book in the Bible and just preach through it, as opposed to going topically, uh, preaching topically like we do most of the year. Um, So I was in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 last week, and we are still technically in Ephesians chapter 1. I wanted to give a little bit of a, of a, brief, uh, a brief recap from last week. So many of us, if I was to ask you the question, who are you? So many of us would have probably answered that question with a list of our hobbies, a list of our titles, and maybe even our political leanings or affiliations. The reason we do that is because most of us don't really know who we are, and so we have to make up an identity to justify why we're here. The first chapter of Ephesians is all about, in fact, most of the book of Ephesians is all about who we are. Not who we are as people, but who we are as a church. What is our actual identity? See, what we found in the first chapter was that the most important phrase in the first chapter of Ephesians is in Christ. In Christ. See, what we have in Christ is the only thing that we have worth boasting about. The only thing that we have to be proud about is everything that we have in Christ. And so today, we're going we're gonna to move on. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. And go to the end of the chapter in verse 23. If you're taking notes, I'd please have you write down, I am appreciated. I am appreciated. Listen to this. This is Paul. And this is probably the most personal that Paul gets in this entire letter. Like I said, for the most part, the book of Ephesians is a lot more formal. It's, it's, it's almost entirely a book of theology and specifically the theology of the church and what it has in Christ. But in verse 15 it says, And this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of the glory of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he, subject, he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Whew. How many of you are aware that we, that probably one of the greatest issues of our time is entitlement? We want everything right now. You know, I've told this, I've told this story uh, in the past, but I'll tell it again because I'm getting old. Um, you know, when I was growing up, how many of you, is there anybody else in the room that you used to, uh, you used to uh, collect those clippings from cereal boxes? 
and you'd send them in to get like the beanie with the twirly hat or whatever it was. I remember the first time and honestly the last time that I ever did that. The first time I did that, I didn't find out until like until I'd collected probably eight months worth of cereal boxes, you know, thingies, that the shipping, the shipping for those things is like six to eight weeks. I remember thinking to myself, even at the time, that's kind of a long time to wait. I mean, even, even back then, it was like two, maybe three weeks to get something important. Man, today, I can get something in two days from Amazon. There's talk, in some cities, Amazon actually has drones that literally fly stuff to your house in the first hour that you order it. See, now, when, when, when my shipping gets delayed by two or three days, I'm like, what is this, 1965? <laughs> See, even though my life has become significantly more convenient than it was when I was, you know, in my, in my early, early years, there's something in me that says I deserve that. I'm not thankful for it. I deserve it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is entitlement. The more that you have... It's interesting, you would think that the more that you have, the easier it would be to be grateful. But actually, it can tend to be the opposite. The more you have, the more often you have to guard yourself and guard your gratitude. See, the first, the first part of the, of the first chapter of Ephesians isn't just telling us what we have, it's telling us what we should be grateful for. The first part of it is all about who we are in Christ, what God has given us in Jesus, all the things that He has given us as an inheritance. And it's, and it's the, the idea, the goal is to get us to actually appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Can I be honest with you? I think the farther that we get from the moment Jesus rescued us, we have, we are significantly more likely to live ungratefully. If Jesus did nothing else for you your entire life, He's still done enough for you to be grateful for it. Does that make sense? But see, this second part is turning it around. Paul, Paul begins to, to tell the believer what he, how he feels about them. Now, I, I want to I stop really quickly before I get too far into this. We believe in what's called plenary verbal inspiration that the mode of the of the, the 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 way that we got scripture was that the holy spirit inspired every single word in essence to kind of simplify it god wrote the bible through people so when we're reading this letter to ephesians even though we understand that paul is addressing real people at a real time in a real church it's the holy spirit that is speaking to every believer what this means is that what Paul is saying is that yes, he personally appreciates him, but it's the Holy Spirit saying, I, God, appreciate you. Does that make sense? When everything is easy, it's seemingly more difficult to not act like you deserve everything to be easy. Listen, let me, let me quantify this. There's some people in the room that are like, well, my, my life wasn't easy. I worked hard for everything I got. 
Friend, can I tell you, there are a lot of people that work really hard all around the world that don't get what they deserve. You know, it's kind of one of the unwitting benefits of going on mission trips to third world countries. Like, you know, I've been to, I've been to Africa a couple of times. I've been to Eastern Europe. Uh, I've been to South America once or twice. And, and, and typically, we, we're taking students with us that have never, you know, they've, they've never left this country. Many of them have really never even left their state. I mean, going to Oregon doesn't count, okay? I mean, it's basically the same thing, all right? <laughs> but most of the time, what you hear when, 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 you, have like, when you have like that testimony day, it, there, there'll, be some, there'll be some cool stuff about what God did, but a lot of times, a lot of times you'll also hear, and I'm so grateful to live where I live. Nobody's more patriotic than a 17-year-old that just came off the mission field. Because what happens when you see how other people live in other places that don't have the same freedoms that we do, you tend to realize, wow, I have taken for granted that when I work hard, I succeed. There are people all over the world that work really, really hard that don't get to succeed. It's called oppression. But you know what's really interesting is some, a lot of times when I come back from mission trips, because I've seen all of that now, it doesn't strike me as much as the attitude of believers in those nations. I tell you, sometimes we think that having a lot of things is what produces happiness or joy. Boy, I tell you, don't tell that to Zimbabweans. I mean... The thing that's so beautiful about people that have nothing is that because they have a better perspective of what they have in Jesus than most Americans do, and so they actually realize they have more than we do. Because when I have Jesus, I have everything. When I go to these places, I'm reminded that it is entirely reasonable to have the joy of the Holy Spirit when I have next to nothing outside of it. It really is a prime example that when you have Jesus, you have everything. I want you to be reminded of, of, the, of the moment in Paul's life that he's writing this letter. Paul was in prison. Not only just in prison, he was literally chained night and day to a Roman guard. They were so concerned, apparently, about this little Jewish guy's propensity to stir up riots that they figured, we don't just need to lock this guy in a room somewhere. We need to make sure that one of our best killers is tied to him all the time, just in case. <laughs> wow. Here's the big idea. You aren't just loved by Jesus, you're appreciated by Jesus. Now, here's why this is really important. How many of you have ever striven to get appreciation from people? That you work because you want your boss to know that you're doing a good job. That you serve because you want your pastor or your leader or, or whoever to, 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 to point you out and say, man, so-and-so, you just did a great job. Actually, I'm going to do that real quick. Where's Isaiah? Is Isaiah still here? Dude, okay, so if you didn't see this young guy back here, that was his first time playing drums for us. Dude nailed it. 
And I tell you what he didn't do it for. He didn't do it because I was going to give him a shout out. He did it because he loves Jesus. See, here's the reality. Here's the reality is that there are times in my life that I have lived for the appreciation of man. I've worked for the appreciation of people. I've lived for those moments where people come up afterwards and say, oh, pastor, that message really spoke to me. But I tell you, if you live by it, you'll die by it. It is entirely possible, and I would, I would say it probable, that many of us are doing all the right things for all the right reasons, and it's why we're bitter. Because why don't they see all my work? Why don't they see how much I love them? Why don't they see how much I pray for them? Why don't they see... Friend, i got to tell you, people are going to let you down if you're living for their appreciation. Can I tell you who's not going to let you down? It's Jesus. Jesus sees everything that you do and he never forgets. You know, sometimes we think of omniscience. You know, we talked about this a little bit last week, that God knows everything. Sometimes we can think of that in a very negative context. That, oh man, God knows everything? Shoot. Could I, could I maybe contend that in the new covenant, the omnisciency of God is significantly more geared towards seeing what you've done right rather than seeing what you've done wrong? You see, if the blood of Jesus was sufficient to cover all of our sin, then what's he not looking for that much anymore? He's not looking for every single time that you screw up. He knows about them. But see, the thing is, is the punishment for your sin has already been meted out. The reward for your obedience has not. The eyes of the Lord rove to and fro. Seeking hearts that are loyal to Him. See, God sees in the moments that you give in to temptation, but He also sees the moments you didn't. And He records them. See, the moments that you gave in, He casts them as far from Him as the east is from the west. Like I said, when, when you're in the posture... Those moments, those seasons of my life where I was in the posture that I was just waiting for somebody to recognize my work. I was waiting for somebody to recognize how gifted I was, or I was waiting for someone to recognize how much I'd done, or this or that. I, when, I'm in the, when I was in that posture, I was, I was ministering in a miserable place. Because i got, I got to tell somebody who's living that way right now, the appreciation of man will never satisfy you. You'll continue to crave it and crave it and crave it until your appetite for it is so great that you'll do anything to attain it. Anything. But see, the appreciation, the favor of God over your life sticks with you. You know the difference between like, we, we used to say it this way, we talked about meals this way, like a, a meal that would stick to your bones. You know what I'm talking about? Like it was, it was an, it was like a, you know, like a great rack of ribs, man. That'll really stick to your bones. The appreciation of God sticks to your spirit. So, what does it look like when we live in gratitude? What does it look like when we live in gratitude? Number one, 
We choose prayer over grumbling. We choose prayer over grumbling. You know, sometimes, I, you know, I used to, Morgan, I used to read the scripture, you know, it says, do everything as unto the Lord. And I'd say to myself, oh, I got to adjust my attitude. Like it was, it was almost like one of those just like work you up kind of things where you're like, whoo, whoo, whoo. I'm doing this as under the Lord, right? <laughs> Friend, I got to tell you, you don't need to adjust your attitude. You need to adjust your expectation. See, what Jesus appreciates, he rewards. What he likes, he rewards. What you deposit, he never fails to increase. When we say, do everything as unto the Lord, we're not using it as a judgmental whip to make sure that Christians walk around with a smile on their face all the time. We're trying to get you to understand that your promotion does not come from your workplace. Now, you might be promoted because you've done a good job, but your commendation comes from the Lord. Listen, it's not that, it's not that words don't matter. It's not that people appreciating you doesn't matter. This isn't me saying, hey guys, I now have a free pass to never tell you how much I love you again. Because Jesus does it for me. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, yes, these things matter, but overall, your reward does not come from me. Your reward doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from your employer. It doesn't come, come on somebody, it doesn't come from your spouse. Your reward comes from Jesus and is Jesus and is in Jesus and is by Jesus. How many of you have ever appreciated that something that someone did and then forgot? I mean, it kind of happens to me a lot. Mostly it's just my memory. I don't mean to. Anybody else have that problem? Does it make us bad people? Probably. No, just kidding. That's why we need Jesus, right? Now listen. Listen. The reality is, again, Jesus doesn't forget. Ever. In fact, it's one of the things that he says at judgment. To one group, he says, and I'm paraphrasing this, he says, when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in jail, you visited me. And that group said to him, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it to anyone, you did it for me. I would much rather hear that at the end of my life than hear, wow, pastor, that was a great word. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, if you think I was a great word, you come tell me, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> Words matter, all right? I'm just saying. But the point I'm making, the point I'm making is that you can get all the accolades, you can get all the praise down here, and it's not going to matter at all then. Let's go back to Paul for a minute. Paul was, I mean, dude was really going through it. I, I want you to understand, I want you to understand how difficult Paul's life was. Paul has no family at this point. He's not married. He doesn't have kids. As far as we know historically, because of, the, because of Paul's conversion to Christianity, Paul was disowned. 
by his entire family. Not only that, how many of you realize there are people that don't like you in the world? Right? I mean, probably though, you could count on one hand the people that actually despise you. Paul was widely hated. There were significantly more people that hated Paul than liked Paul. And then what does he get for it at the end of his life? Everything that he sacrificed for Jesus, what happens to him? He ends up in jail. I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like I would think that was slightly unfair. All of my sacrifice, everything that I've done, and I wind up in jail next to a Roman guard whose orders are to kill me if I make a wrong move. Here's the thing. I feel like if I was in that situation, like I'm trying to picture this in my mind. Like If I'm in jail because I wouldn't stop preaching the gospel, what would I do? I'd phone up my local congressman? Write a scathing op-ed into some local newspaper about my freedoms? What does Paul do? Dude wrote the New Testament. He used his downtime to write the Bible. It's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> he wrote the Bible while he was being falsely accused and widely hated. Listen, we can either spend our life grumbling about what we don't have, who isn't listening to us, and what we're not getting, or we can be intentionally grateful about what we do have, who we have, and what's been given to us. Man, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor in this room. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your background is. I'm telling you, you have a reason to grumble your life away. You also have a reason to not grumble your life away. What's funny is even the contents of this letter. Part of the reason why I always want people to understand the context of Scripture is because it's going to inform how you see what the joy of the Lord is. Paul's writing, I mean, he wrote, he wrote these three letters that we know of from this point in his life in prison. Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Philippians is known as the book of joy. It's literally all about finding contentment in Jesus in every circumstance. And he didn't find it while he was on a beach sipping Mai Tais. He found it when he was chained to a Roman guard. And the, the interesting thing is, is that in all three of these letters, if you actually read through each one of them, he rarely talks about any kind of disappointment in his life that's stemming from his circumstances. And every, it's all, it's, you know, it's counted all joy, brethren. You know, give thanks to our God and Father through Jesus that we've received. I mean, like, the entire time what he's doing is he is practically through this letter and through the life he is living while he's writing it, showing us you don't have to be happy to have joy. You don't have to be in the greatest circumstance of your life in order to remind yourself that when you have Jesus, you still have everything. You are not what you've done. You are not what's been done to you. 
You are not what you are doing currently. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, instead of looking at his current problems and circumstances, because his gratitude was in Christ and not in his circumstances, he prayed for the church rather than grumbling to the church. Again, it's one of the most mind-boggling things about what Paul is doing in this moment. No matter what persecution he was under, no matter how many people hated him, no matter what was going on, his posture was, you need to understand you have something to be grateful for. Not something to be grumbling about. Something to be grateful for. Grateful people pray. Entitled people Grumble. How many of you love being around entitled people? See, when what's important to us, it's what's been done for us. What's being done to us is less important. See, it doesn't mean that you can't understand that there is a lot of unfairness in the world, but friend, whoever told you that life is fair? You know, it's funny, we try to instill fairness in our kids and then we're shocked when they don't understand that life isn't fair. You ever thought about that? Like, it's, it's those moments where, you know, you're, one, one kid asks for, you know, asks for something and you give it to him and then the other one comes up, you know, like, Dad, why didn't you give me that too? And then you're like, oh gosh, well, I gotta be fair, don't I? But the thing is, that's not what they're going to experience. You're not gonna experience fairness. The reality is, you're still going to have to choose joy when everything is unfair. When it's not fair that your disease hasn't been healed. When it's not fair that your family doesn't like the fact that you actually like Jesus now and it's not just a show. You're still going to have to choose how you respond. You cannot control what's done to you, but you can control how you react to it. Which is why sometimes it's so difficult to read the words of Paul because we're, you know, we're going through, you know, an existential crisis or, or, or things aren't turning out just the way we want. But then we remember the context of where Paul writes, brothers counted all joy. We understand that he was going through situations. Excuse me, that was James. But Paul's going through circumstances and situations in which the moment he talks about being content in every situation, we kind of listen to him. See, it's easy to talk about being oppressed and how people should react when they're being oppressed. It's another thing to be oppressed and talk about how other people should act when they're being oppressed. Number two, celebrate instead of compete. Celebrate instead of compete. Listen to this, Ephesians 1, we're just going to go four verses, I'm going to run back through this real quick. It says, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the mighty works of his strength. You ever wondered if Paul wished he was in Ephesus? You know, according to, according to most 
traditional history we have of the early church at that time, the Ephesian church was going through a, a time of what we would probably call revival. It wasn't revival because there was nothing to revive, okay? It was just a bunch of people coming to the Lord. Can you imagine, you ever hear about God moving in other places and you're just like, oh man, wish it would happen here. Or you hear about God moving in other places and you're like, well, that's because they're compromising the Scriptures. <laughs> oh man, that hit somebody a little hard. I've been in churches like that that have felt so superior, so, so, so lofty in their ideas that when you hear about the church across town that's, you know, that's, that's God's really doing some stuff, your first thought is, well, it's because they're not real Christians. It's a lot more common than you think. Can I tell you why it happens? Because we are naturally competitive. We are born to compete. I mean, any, anyone who's grown up in, the, like, in sports or, 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 or any, any level of uh, competition, that doesn't just like go away when you stop playing. Like, I still, okay, I know I don't look like a basketball player. I probably, you know, I, Charles Barkley, okay, round mound rebound, think Charles Barkley, all right? <laughs> Listen, when I stopped playing basketball, I didn't leave my competitive edge on the court. I carried it with me because it was honed into me. The problem is, is that sometimes the church, we forget that we are not in competition with one another. We are actually in covenant with each other. Let me put it, put it to you a different way. If my toe, if my big toe is in competition with my finger, I have a problem with dysfunction within my body. Demonstrated. <laughs> Friend, I got to tell somebody that I'm not in competition with anyone but the devil. And that's not even really a fair fight at this point. He's already defeated. But we have got... Let me... Let me oh, Fred. See, it's become so common in the church to gossip under the guise of accountability or discernment that we've seemingly forgotten that gossip is a sin on the level as adultery. Gossip is rooted in false identity and it's fueled by jealousy. It's rooted in false identity and it's fueled by jealousy. Here's the big idea. If you believed everything that God says about you, you'd never feel the need to undercut someone else to make yourself feel better. If you believed everything that God says about you, you'd never feel the need to undercut somebody else to make yourself feel better. We are part of a larger body. Listen, somebody's, somebody else's testimony is not supposed to inspire jealousy in us. It's supposed to inspire faith. And here's the thing. If it is inspiring jealousy, I need to ask myself if I'm harboring either bitterness against someone or if I simply don't know what Jesus says about me. It's one of the two. It's either that I'm bitter against somebody or I simply don't know what my identity is in Christ. And so when somebody gets something that I don't get, my question is not, wow, that's amazing, that's available for me. My question is, well, why didn't I get it? Because if your identity is in what God gives you, 
anything that He gives to somebody else is going to be something that you feel is taken from you. Not available for you. Sorry, I just got a phone call. Calls with me on Sunday morning. Anyway. <laughs> oh, boy. See, I've got to... If I'm, if I'm continuously finding myself jealous of other believers, I've got to ask myself what I'm abiding in. Why do I have a posture of grasping for God's favor instead of realizing I already have it? Number three. Number three. Deeper encounters. Deeper encounters. I'm going to read this whole passage one more time. I know, we, we, we we're reading a lot of Scripture today. Welcome to church. Okay. Okay, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Again, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that, the, that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your, of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of His strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at His right hand in the heavens, far above every room. and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Listen, this prayer, this prayer that, that, the, that, that Paul prays over this church, I need you to understand, the Ephesians had ridiculous teaching. So if we were to, if we were to like check the, like check the roll, like, the, you know, roll call of like, how many incredible leaders in the early church like we're in Ephesus for at least a portion of time you've got Luke who by volume essentially wrote half the New Testament you've got John who spent the latter half of his life as the chief bishop of Ephesus you know John before he before he died his love for the church was so great that even when he couldn't walk they would cart him in on a stretcher and they would just lay him on the front like altar of the church so that he could remind them of how much God loved them in Christ. I mean, can you imagine being so old and decrepit that you couldn't move, but you're still so consumed with a passion to see the bride of Christ rise up in authority? And then you had the Apostle Paul who was in Ephesus for three years teaching every single day. These guys were pretty sound. I mean, can you imagine a Sunday morning and Paul's like, okay, we're going to turn to the book that I wrote. Which one? Oh. <laughs> That's a serious preaching team, man. But even in the letter that Paul wrote to him, his prayer for them was not to simply have more information about Jesus, but an insight that leads to more of Jesus himself working in their lives. 
He wasn't content. He wasn't content with just telling people, hey, don't forget all the stuff that I taught you because it's all you need. No, his prayer was, I'm praying that God will visit you again today with the spirit of revelation and wisdom because you do not have it all yet. I got to tell somebody in the room that, that, that has been living off of yesterday's bread, there's something fresh for you. You do not have to live out of the one moment that you felt like God spoke to you the most. Friend, I can tell you that your testimony that you keep going back to, that's your floor, not your ceiling. Don't stop pursuing God. It can become so easy for us to tell the same stories but never have new ones. God has more for you than that. See, and if that's you, if that's been your story, can I, can I, can I tell you that today I'm praying for you that the, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would visit you again? Because you, know, you are not too old. You are not too young. You are not too middle-aged. You are not too sinful. You are not too whatever it is that you think you are that's, that, that's put a block between you and fresh revelation. You are not those things. The spirit of revelation and wisdom is available for you to encounter God in a new way. He never runs out. He never runs out. Listen, I'm not saying that we should forget our testimony. I'm saying that if the last significant encounter you've had isn't recent, then my prayer for you, like I said this morning, is that God would again give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Because I don't just need more information about Jesus. I need the power of God working in my life in a greater fashion. Now, sometimes... Here's why I'm bringing this in for a landing. Sometimes we can think to ourselves, power of God, and, and especially in the charismatic world, we're just like, miracles! Actually, Paul quantifies what the power of God that he's talking about to the Ephesians is. He's quantifying that, that, that the initial greatest power of God in your life is the miracle that he worked by saving you. Salvation is a miracle. Salvation is supernatural. It's not just words that you say. It's God regenerating you and renewing you, recreating you, in a miraculous and supernatural fashion. See, this power, this power raised Jesus, not just from the dead, but above every other throne, power, or dominion of man and angels. I want you to understand this. Keep in mind that at this time in history, Christians were being crushed by two powerful groups. They were being crushed on one side by Jews that felt that it was their, it was their, their holy, uh, holy duty to persecute this cult. On the other side, they were being crushed by the Roman Empire because out of all of the religions in the empire, each one of them was supposed to, at some point in time, they were supposed to worship Caesar, give him honor. Christians wouldn't do it. So can you imagine reading this when you're not in the most powerful country in the world? See, sometimes we, we read stuff like this and because we're American, 
We think to our, it's not really that big of a stretch to think about Jesus being on high above everything. We understand power. These believers back in Ephesus had no idea what power was really like. And Paul's final, his final point in this first chapter is he's saying, listen, this same power that raised Jesus, not just from the dead, but set him at the right hand of the majesty on high, and now everything is subjected under his feet, also resides in you. See, it's in tumultuous times. We need to be mindful and remember that God isn't fretting. He hasn't run out of power. He's working salvation in you and the purposes of God will come to pass. They will. Somebody in the room needs to know when God sets his mind on something, he doesn't lose it. Sometimes we have some really poor theology surrounding what we call providence. Friend, providence is the will of God working behind the scenes to do whatever he wants to bring about his outcome. God doesn't lose. Never has, never will. He doesn't lose. It's in times like we're living in now that we need to be reminded that he's still enthroned, that he's still working it out, and that he's still working in you. Friend, what you really don't need is a excuse me, what you really need isn't a better job. What you really need isn't a new spouse. What you really need isn't a new boss. What you really need isn't a new car or house or baby or president. What you really need is more of Jesus working in your life. What you really need is to be reminded of all that has been done for you in Christ. What you really need is that at the end of the day, you and I have been given so much in Christ that we have no excuse to not trust Him, no excuse to not praise Him, no excuse to not believe Him, no excuse to not thank Him, and no excuse not to live in gratitude. See, this is the message of Ephesians chapter 1. Is that everything that you have been given in Christ is enough. Everything you've been given in Christ is enough. And when we think about what Jesus has done for us, it should cause us to look at our posture and ask, am I living in gratitude? Or am I living in grumbling? Am I more quick to remind myself of my blessings or of the things that haven't happened yet? Am I more quick to remind myself of things that other people have that I don't have? Or am I reminded that in Christ, when I have Jesus, I have everything? Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that when we have Jesus, we have everything. Not only do we have everything that we need, we have significantly more than enough. That what you have done for us in Christ is so much more than we need. And we thank you this morning that you're generous, that this is your nature, that we can be fully content in what we have in Jesus. I'm going to ask two questions this morning. The first one is maybe maybe you're listening to this and you recognize, man, I'm, I'm really not living in gratitude. I feel like I'm grasping at things a lot. I feel like I'm thinking about how unfair things are too much. 
maybe I'm looking at the things that I don't have too often. And I want, I want today to come back to gratitude. To the realization that when I have Jesus, I have everything I need. If that's you this morning, nobody's looking around, please. If that's you this morning and, and today you're just saying, I, I, I want to, I need to turn this around. I need God to help me. I need God to help me to live in gratitude. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Come on. Thank you. Jesus, thank you. Lord, thank you that when we ask in your will, the Father hears us and gives us what we ask for. Lord, I thank you for these that are just saying this morning, I'm going to choose to live in gratitude. God, help me in that endeavor. Lord, I thank you right now that you're turning attitudes around, you're turning hearts around. Lord, you're turning, you're turning conversations and situations around so that when they come again, that our heart posture, our attitude is going to be faith. It's going to be prayer. It's going to be gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. And finally, if you're here this morning and that, that terminology of in Christ, you don't quite get that. Maybe you've never, uh, you've never said yes to Jesus or, or maybe there's just been a point in your life where you, you, you just walked away from the Lord. Listen, friend, I got to tell you, I've been there myself. But the beauty of who Jesus is is that you've never gone too far. You've never walked too long away from him. No matter how far you run from him, he is always waiting for you to turn and come back to him. If that's you this morning, and maybe for the, either the first time or, 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 or you're coming back to the Lord today, you would, would want to receive this Jesus. Become in Christ. If that's you this morning, I'd like you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Is there anybody in the house today? Thank you. Anybody else this morning? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. Anybody else today? Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you this morning for the free gift of salvation. We thank you this morning. We thank you this morning that no matter where we've walked, no matter what we've done, there is nothing that you can't forgive and that you don't hold it over our heads, but Lord, you give us freedom, you give us wholeness, you give us eternal life, and better yet, you give us you. So Lord, this morning, I thank you for these that are just saying, Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. Become Lord over everything that I do. We thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.